Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I wanna welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. And uh, today I wanna to talk to you about leading from who you are, not who you are not. And looking at John the Baptist, the highly differentiated leader who leads out of the integrity of, of who he is. In fact, John, John the Baptist is one of my favorite, if not favorite biblical characters after Jesus. I mean, it was Jesus who said among those born of women, there was there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Imagine that. Up to Jesus' time, there was no greater prophet than John the Baptist. And then Jesus says, yet who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I mean, what a, what a, what a commendation, but what a challenge for us who are salt and light, that even those who are least are greater than John because of what's available to us by the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, I'm going to be sharing a message with you that I gave around this theme out of John 1, uh, who you are and who aren't you, you know, leading out of a highly differentiated self. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, leadership is the inner work to define your true self in Jesus. It's not about getting more expertise. Uh, and that differentiation is a, is a lovely term about, about defining yourself. In other words, remaining connected to people, yet not having your reactions or behaviors determined by them. It's the ability to be calm and consistent about who you are, what you think and feel, and not demanding or forcing others to think and feel the same way. And uh, and it's not expertise, but it's a self-differentiation that makes a leader. And of course, Jesus is 100% differentiated. But we see John the Baptist in this passage in John 1, amazing, uh, highly differentiated, not living out of a false self that's reflected from other people at all, not trying to imitate other people. He is just cutting a, a fresh path uh, and uh, it's the source of his authority and power. And so as you, as you listen to this message, it comes out of John chapter one and few of us actually even recognize that one fourth of John one is around John the Baptist. That's how significant he is, that great prologue. Uh, and if you remember, we talked about a few weeks ago as well, thinking about thinking systemically around your church or movement or denomination or uh, organization that you have a, you have a genogram and a history and there's, there's kind of a, a pressure of the way things are done. And part of leadership is to, is to differentiate, bring the uniqueness of who God's uniquely made you to be and bring that influence to bear. And here's John the Baptist walking into a first century religious system that uh, God wants to open up in a whole fresh way for the Messiah to come. And John is in this, the Baptist is in this incredibly unique position uh, to speak of this and to model it and to prophetically actually embody the message that he's preaching. And uh, he's just so clear about who God has uniquely made him to be. And as a result, he's got this clear and commanding presence, much like Jesus. So so who are you? And, I, and at the end of the message, I'm going to invite you to take a few moments to answer the questions of who are you, who are you not, how's God built you, how's he shaped you, uh, and whom has he given you to give yourself to the world? Uh, what does that look like? And so uh, I pray you'll take a few minutes at the end of the uh, message that you're about to hear to uh, ponder before the Lord uh, those questions. And again, you may want to look at the team transformation videos uh, on our website as one of those one of those. Um, video team experiences around Explore Your Genogram, which really is the key to growing in your differentiation. Uh, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. Take a look at that. It comes with uh, excellent handouts that you could use, but it's a it's an hour and a half to two hour experience and uh, takes a bit of time. But 
one worth doing as a great follow-up for this message of John the Baptist of leading out of who you are, not who you are not. So let's take it away now without further ado and look at the great John the Baptist. Enjoy. All right, if you have a Bible, please go with me to John chapter 1. Now, you should have received, if you did not receive a bulletin and a pencil to write with, something to write with when you came in, raise your hands because you need this sheet that says, who am I? And who am I not? Which is the title of our message today. So if you don't have one of these, raise your hands really high. And okay. And so ushers and usherettes. Um, okay, there's... All right, good. Keep your hands up high over here to the right. Red don't have those. No, pen red. Okay. Keep your hands up. So our, our title of our message is, is, Who Are You and Who Are You Not? Yeah, keep your hands up. You definitely need this sheet, uh, Who Am I and Who Am I Not? There's also a sheet, Servant New Life. We'll refer to that as well later. And again, if you get today's message, uh, if you know the answer to that question, Who Are You and Who Are You Not? Uh, you are one content person. One happy person. Uh, your heart is filled with joy, even if you're under stressful circumstances. And in fact, your life, if you know the answer to that question, your life is free, it's expansive, it's, it's light. And I'm not saying you don't have difficulties, but you have the capacity to be a wonderful gift to the world if you know who you are and who you're not. Uh, in fact, decision-making is easy once you know the answer to that question. So we're going to look at John the Baptist today. But who, are, who are you and who are you not? But let me begin before I read the passage by a story about a guy named Clifford Still. In November 2011 at, the, uh, at Sotheby's auction house in Manhattan, which is, as you know, is one of the top arts places in the world to sell art, and only the wealthiest art collectors in the world gather at Sotheby's, and and, and so, just to give you a little context here, the 10 most expensive paintings in the world ever sold topped, there's only 10 that topped $100 million, all right? People like Van Gogh and Cezanne and Picasso. <clears throat> but on this day in November, uh, four paintings were sold by one unknown painter, and they totaled a, a price of $114 million. Now, the great surprise that night was most people did not even know who was this fellow, Clifford Still, who had painted these paintings? And because he was still largely unknown. And what happened was Clifford Still was actually one of the most important painters of the 20th century. Uh, he pioneered a movement in the 30s and 40s called, if you're an artist, abstract expressionism. And uh, here he is. Here's Cliff. But he was, he, this guy in 1951, he was rich, he was famous, he, he had everything an artist could ever dream of. But what happened was he became disillusioned with all the money and commercialism and power that had gotten into the whole art world. And so in 1951, he basically quit the art world. He walked away at the height of his success and he moved into a farm in rural Pennsylvania with his wife. And for the next 30 years, he just lived there and painted. He never did an art show again. 
you know, you know, Archer like this. And, and he actually is the one responsible, they say, for making New York one of the centers of art in the world in the 50s. He was that big. So he died in 1980. And what's really, he died in obscurity. And, but he left a handwritten will in which, now at this point, he painted 825 paintings and 1,600 drawings. And in his will, he gave everything away for free. Uh, and he said, he said they were to be given to an, to an American museum, American city, that would build a museum just for his paintings. But they would never sell them, and they would never loan them to anybody. In fact, they wouldn't even have a coffee shop or cafeteria. Okay? But he wanted his art to have nothing to do with the commercial buying and selling in the art world. For him, it was art and beauty. So his wife chose the city of Denver in 2011. And so, you know, here's one of his paintings, an abstract art. And so they opened this art museum in 2011. But what he did was he allowed four of his paintings to be sold on that day in November to endow the museum, to build it, and to basically provide endowment for the rest of its life. So what's amazing about the story is how did Clifford Still walk away from all of that money, fame, power, and 1951. How could he do such a thing? Well, the answer is, uh, many answers, but he knew who he was, and he knew who he was not. And so out of that place of integrity, he just walked away. And it wasn't difficult for him at all to do. So today our theme is, you know, who are you? And who are you not? Now, last week we talked about in John chapter 1, the first part of John 1, uh, seeing the world with new eyes uh, as the whole focus and theme of, of Christianity is, is really what we just celebrated at Christmas, that God has come in the flesh. The word was made flesh in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, this most profound reality message, there, there's no greater truth in the universe, the fact that God Almighty the invisible God became a real historical human being. The immortal God became mortal. The infinite God became finite. The divine became human. The, the God who exists outside of time and space actually entered time and space. I mean, it, it's, it's incredible. The immense God became a tiny baby. That, that's the heart and what sets apart Christianity from all other world religions. That's what we celebrated this Christmas. And that, that God became a real human physical being. And we can know this God what he thinks and feels and does and what he's about. And so that's why they said to Jesus, show us the Father, show us God, Jesus, and, and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus says, hey, Philip, have I been with you so long that you don't know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And, and, and so, again, we talked about last week how the only way we can know this incredible reality is by opening up the door wide of our own lives. We live that way of trusting and receiving, uh, welcoming Jesus. And that the purpose of all spiritual practices, whether it's coming to church on a Sunday like this to worship or reading your Bible in the morning for a quiet time or uh, having silence or fellowship, small groups, the purpose of all spiritual practices is to let Jesus in, to give him access to our lives, that he might fill it. And that's, the, that's what we talked about last week. And so now, now what's interesting is, and we talked about how God's light will never be put out. Jesus is the light of the world. And the light shines on still, even now in the darkness, and, and nothing can put it out. It's a great text. And so, now what's interesting is John chapter 1 talks about all of this. But half of John 1 is about John the Baptist, not just Jesus. 
And he gets all of this space in John 1. Because it says of John the Baptist, there was a man sent from God. And he came to testify concerning that light. Light is Jesus. So that through him, all might believe. In other words, so that through him, everybody might trust Jesus, might receive Jesus, might welcome Jesus, might open up their hearts fully to Jesus. Not just in evangelism, but in all of life that, that, that we would do that. So John the Baptist is not the light Jesus is. But he is, for all of us in this room, the ideal witness. Your life and my life is meant to bear witness to Jesus. That's who we are. Our lives are to bear testimony to Jesus in some manner, shape, or form. You were created for that. And, uh, and so John shows us how to do this. And we're going to look at the way he's able to do this is he knows who he is and who he is not. Now, your life is special. Your life is unique. We don't have anybody else like you that's ever lived. And we will never have anybody else like you who's ever going to live the life that you have. It, it's you. You're, you're so unique. You're blessed, uh, and you're alive. And so now John the Baptist, we're going to learn from him now, uh, before we read the passage, he, he, he comes out and emerges out of the desert. He's about late 20s, maybe 30, and he begins to preach in the desert or the wilderness about Jesus, a baptism of repentance. And thousands and thousands of people flock to him. I mean, it's, it's a phenomenon. The Jews have been waiting for the Messiah for 400 years. This guy comes in such prophetic power, they think he's it. And, I mean, I'm talking about the best of the best from Jerusalem. Go out to this desert to hear this guy preach. And they want to know, who are you? And, you know, who, who are you not? And, but he's very clear about who he is and who he's not. And so in the same way, I'm going to invite you today, you, this sheet, who I am and who I'm not, we're going to fill this out at the end. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to wrestle with this very challenging question. Who am I and who am I not? John is able to answer this brilliantly. In the same way, God invites all of us to know our gifts, to know our uniquenesses, to know our limits, and then to be faithful with our lives. Regardless of your profession and your situation of family and friends and age, your life is meant to testify to Jesus. Not saying you're an evangelist, like an evangelist floating around like Billy Graham. But your life is meant to point to something much greater than itself. So with that, uh, let's read uh, this passage here in John 1, verses 19 to 28. Now I want you to notice the questions, who am I? Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, nope. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees, now understand the Pharisees are like the heavyweights from Jerusalem. They're serious. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah? Nor Elijah? 
nor the prophet. I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Okay, now, I want you to look at something here. He, he, he's, they ask him three questions. You know, who, you know, who are you? They want to ask, who, who are you? And he's able to say three I am nots. Like I'm going to invite you to do at the end of the message. I am not the Messiah, number one. Okay, I'm not the Messiah. Now, it's tricky because I know some of us think we're the Messiah. Now, you are special. In other words, Christian, as a Christian, you're the light of the world. I mean, that's pretty big. I mean, you're the salt of the earth. Without Christians walking the earth, the earth will rot. I mean, we are incredibly needed in education and, you know, in politics and the arts and, 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 you know, in the unions. We're needed everywhere, okay? We're the light of the world. We're the body of Christ. I mean, that's pretty big too. But we are not the Christ. We're not the Messiah. And some of us get a little carried away. You know, uh, we're trying to save the world. We call that overfunctioning. And uh, in fact, you know, Jerry's book, The Emotional Woman, has got a whole section on overfunctioning. Quit overfunctioning. It's like trying to be the Messiah. I got my little test here. Signs that you may think you're the Messiah. All right? You can just test yourself. This is a little side note here. Right? This is free. I'm quick to offer advice or fix things so I don't fall apart. You know, in the long run, it's simply easier for me to do things myself. I don't trust others to do as good a job as I can. I often do whatever is asked of me, even if I'm already overloaded. Then, of course, you're angry. And then people describe me as stable and as always having it together. I don't like asking you for help because I don't want to be a burden. Ah, you can add to the list. Get the workbook on. You know, the woman. It's a nice little test. But they come to John, and they're trying to, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not the Messiah. He wants to make it very clear. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not the Messiah, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not the prophet, Messiah prophet either. But many of us are very cloudy about who we are. We're not really sure. And so it's fuzzy. So some of us, because we don't know who we are, we end up, you know, we're confused. And so we're, we're a confu- I'll call it a confused presence. And we kind of put on a mask, we hide behind a persona, you know, like, we're not very self-reflective or very self-aware, and so we try to be, you know, cool over here, or, you know, very smart at work over here, or very helpful over here. But it's really a mask because we're really not sure. And again, this can come out of our families of origin because they had an expectation of you, uh, you know, or, or maybe the culture, the society wants you to be, you know, smart and and rich and powerful and beautiful and impressive, or maybe some boss or authority figures influence you. But you end up being, you're not sure who I am. So I, I, I put on, I'm confused. I, I put on masks. And others of us, we're just, we're just preoccupied. You, know? you ever talk to somebody and you're talking to them, but they're like, they're looking over here. Like they're not, you don't know who you're with. Because they're not really there. They're tweeting, texting, they're, they're Facebooking, they're answering phone calls. They're just, they're really not there. They're just, they're preoccupied presence, you know. And, and then you've got, you know, folks who are just ambivalent. You know, and I'm, I, I may be this, I may be that. I don't know. I may be all these things. You know, you choose. And, uh, you know, I, I really I feel like for myself, you know, for, my, for years, I struggled with even being a leader. Uh, you know, I just even people say you're a leader, and I'd be like, I don't, I don't think I'm a leader. You know, you lead. I, you know, and, and I was very ambivalent about who I was because, and it came out of my family and my history, and, 
And so I was very confusing in the early years of new life, you know, because I was like, yes and no, you know. I think William should leave the church. He'd probably do a better job, you know, and yet I'm the leader, and maybe God, God had given that to me. It took me years to actually affirm the fact, okay, yes, I'm, I'm a leader, and I have some influence. But I was very ambivalent, and many of us are very confused and ambivalent and, and you know, preoccupied. And so I, I, I kind of made this little chart up. But it's like some of us have a very weak sense of self. If I can think of a scale of zero to 100, you know, and over here is a strong sense of self. So like think of, you know, John the Baptist. He's very clear. They don't say, John, who are you? And he doesn't say, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> you know, my uncle Louis said he thought I could be a teacher. How do you think I'm doing? Do you think I have what it takes? <laughs> I mean, he's not, he's clear. And he's got a strong sense of, of who he is. Uh, Jesus obviously had a strong sense of who he is. You know, if you walk with Jesus in union with him in your life, I'm talking about really fully giving Jesus access, you will get a sense of who you are. Uh, that's having authority in life. That's real authority. Because it's coming from a deep place. And so, you know, here, here's a few, you know, how do I know if I have a weak sense of self? I, I, I think, you know, it's things like, you know, most of yourself is a false self and, and reflected from others. So, for example, you know, if you tell me I preached a good sermon, I did great. I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. If you tell me I, I preached a bad sermon, maybe I should go find another line of work. You know, pick up the New York Times. You know, or much of a weak sense of self, much of energy is, is I'm winning the approval of other people. So I'm always trying to get people to, you know, to like me or think well of me so I can get a sense of who I am. So it's a weak sense of self. You know, or maybe it's, it's emotionally needy and highly reactive to others. You know, they, it's like, you know, they come to you and say, well, who are you? Who do you think you are asking me who I am? It's none of your darn business who I am. It's your own life. You know, where some of us are very touchy. We're, we're highly offendable. That's, a, that, that's an indication of a, of a weak sense of, of self. You know, some of us, are, our self-esteem soars with compliments, and it's crushed by, by criticism. You know, we're just devastated. You, you hear a hundred nice remarks. One person says, I don't like that. Forget it. Three days of antidepressants, you know, to, to get up. And then lastly, we're often highly dependent relationships or completely cut off from people. Just one of the two extremes. Because we're not sure who we are, so I got to get away from you or I get too close to you. It's very confusing. Um, I like this story. It's from the Emotionally Spirituality book. And I, because I, I, I knew this woman, I knew her of her in the 1990s. She was quite famous. Her name was Sheila Walsh. And uh, she was a Christian singer and, and writer. And she was a co host of the 700 Club, which at the time was like the leading Christian like show. So she was known by millions. And, uh, but she, she, hit a, she hit a wall. And here's what she writes. One day I was sitting on national television with my nice suit and inflatable hairdo. And that night I was in a locked ward of a psychiatric hospital. It was the kindest thing God could ever have done for me. The very first day in the hospital, the psychiatrist asked me, who are you? I said, I'm the co-host of the 700 Club. That's not what I meant, he said. Well, she said, I'm a writer and I'm a singer. He replied, that's not what I meant. Who are you? And she said, she goes, I said, I don't have a clue. And he replied, now that's right. And that's why you're here. 
Now, Sheila Walsh continued. She wrote this. I measured myself by what other people thought of me. That was slowly killing me. Before I entered the hospital, some of the 700 Club staff said to me, don't do this. You will never regain any kind of platform. If people knew you were in a mental institution and on medication, it's over. I said, you know what? It's over anyway. So I can't think about that. I really thought I had lost everything. My house, my salary, my job, everything. But I found my life. I discovered at the lowest moments of my life that everything that was true about me, God knew. So it ends. And so, you know, for, for John the Baptist, he's got a, a tremendous sense of, you know, he's got these three things. He says, I am not Messiah, Elijah, uh, the prophet. But it doesn't mean he thinks he's a nobody. Uh, he's pretty clear about who he is. And he says three who I am. First I am, he says, I, they say, who are you, John? He goes, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. What that means is he's saying, I don't, I don't know everything about my call, but I do know a few things. I am the one going before the Messiah is going to come, and I am calling people to repent. I'm calling people to turn to God, to turn around. I'm a voice speaking. So he's a preacher. I'm a speaker. He goes, secondly, I baptize with water. And uh, what's interesting is that in those days, only Gentiles got baptized for their sins in order to become Jews. But now for the first time, John the Baptist is doing something that's never been done before. He's calling Jews to get washed in baptism for their sins, as if they were dirty dog Gentiles. That was radical. That was, that was a shock. He goes, I know I baptize with water, a very human thing, and I trust God's doing something with all that. But he goes, I know I'm supposed to do that. And then he goes, thirdly, I, uh, he is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I, I am not worthy to untie. And thirdly, saying, I, I'm not worthy. And, and let me give you a context for this. In ancient times, uh, there were two types of slaves, Jewish slaves and Gentile slaves. Now, a Jewish slave was never to touch the sandals of a, uh, of a master. Only Gentile slaves were doing to do that, could wash feet. And here's what John the Baptist is saying. I do know this that next to this Messiah, next to Jesus, I am not even worthy to be a Gentile slave to untie his sandal. That's who I am. That's how big he is, and that's how unworthy I am. So he's got these three I ams, who I am. And it's very interesting. He's, got, he's very content. He's very secure with his authority, just like Jesus, even though all, everyone's got an opinion about John the Baptist. All these thousands of people are projecting onto him their stuff. But... At, at, he's able to say this. They come to John in, in, in John chapter 3. They say, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, Jesus, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing, and everyone's going over to him. And to this, John replies, he, he's not competitive. He's not, he doesn't have any envy. He doesn't have any rivalry. He goes, a person can receive only what is given him from heaven. What an incredible line. What contentment. What joy. Some of us are trying to be somebody that's not been given to us from heaven. Because we don't know who we are, we're running around like mad people. Confused, you know, ambivalent, preoccupied. And, but you can only receive ultimately what God gives you. So it's an incredible line. I, I love that. So, so he emerges here. I, 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 he's almost like to me like Rosa Parks in the 1950s. 
when, if you know her story, she was the African-American woman who launched the civil rights movement by her act of being unwilling to sit in the back of the bus. And in her interview, she writes about, they said, you know, why did you do it? And later on in her book, she wrote, I, 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 could, I, I cannot not do this. In other words, this is who I am. The integrity of who I am, I, I cannot not sit in the front of the bus and get arrested. It didn't matter if the people out in that bus want to kill me because it's who I am at this moment in my life, and I'm going to do it. It's so powerful. So now in the same way, and this, now pull out this handout, who I am and who I am not. Now I'm going to ask you to fill this out in just a moment. Now let me read you this, let me read you this quote from Frederick Beekner. There are different kinds of voices calling you to different kinds of work. The problem is to find out which is the voice of God rather than of society, say, or the superego or self-interest. By and large, a good rule for finding out is this. The kind of work God usually calls you to is, the, is this kind of work that you need most to do, that the world needs most to have done. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. It's a very famous quote. Well, your gladness, what gives you joy and life. What is that? And then the world's needs. Where that meets is a good indication of where God's calling you to. Now, the Bible says there is such diversity here in this room that when you, come to, when you receive Christ, gifts come into you. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. The Holy Spirit chooses to give it to every one of us differently. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and everyone, it is the same. God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, what you have to catch from this is this. There's different kinds of workings and service and different kinds of gifts. There are a million combinations of how this could work. For John, who am I? I am a voice crying out in the wilderness. I am baptizing with water, and I am not worthy to tie his shoes. That's it at his moment in histories. Now, there are gifts. There are, there are lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. It's like the three main ones. I just, I didn't even put them all there. I just started listing them. You know, things like, you know, some of us are, some of us, we, we build. You know, you build at work. You can see how things fit together. You, you build groups. You, 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 you're a builder. You're an apostle is a builder. Sees how to build a church. You know, there are prophets. People speak God's word in different contexts. There are evangelists, pastors. Now, again, you got to understand, many of you probably think, oh, yeah, he's a pastor. That's Pastor Pete. That's Pastor Rich. No, no, no. There are so many ways this thing works out. There, there, there are people who pastor who never call themselves. Tons of people are pastors. Many of you are pastors. You, you, you see someone in need, you just naturally go over to them. How are you? You, you just you care for people. It just, it just comes out of you. Some of you are teachers. You teach one-on-one -on -one at children's church. You, you teach in large groups. You teach in a classroom. You just, you just like teaching. It just comes out of you, you know? Some of you are evangelists. Not that you're Billy Graham doing a crusade, but you just you, you love to just point people to Jesus. You love talking to folks about Christ. And, and again, it was people of wisdom and prophecy. And some of you, you have faith. You just, you just bring faith to people. You can talk to people about Christ, discerning of spirit. Some of you just know when something's not right. You just feel it in your gut. You know, there's tongues, interpretation of tongues. There's folks who are just, it's a gift of leadership. Rich and I were talking about 2015. We know that so many of you have a gift of influence. 
God made you a leader, but you're afraid. And we, we feel responsible to help pull you out. To say, don't be afraid. One person wept after first service to me. And he's exercising some leadership in a particular way in our church, and he's really gifted. And he said, oh, I'm just, oh, I just want to shrink back. I'm so afraid. He, his tears just came to his eyes. And I said, who you are, you're, you're a leader. People, people follow you. They, they look to you. It's just natural. And, and uh, some of us, we just give comfort. We're encouragers. Some of us are prayers. We bear witness to Jesus through the way that we serve, showing mercy, lead, administration, healers, giving, helps. And some of you, some people have a gift of making money. They just, they give witness to Christ through giving money away. It's amazing. They, they influence whole movements and causes around the world. And it's amazing their, their power. I've seen it. But it's a way to bear witness to Christ through entrepreneurship. It's amazing. But you've got to hear this. There's a million combinations. A million. I was telling Caroline at the first Caroline over there, I said, she dances. And I said, you, you, you bear witness to Jesus through worship. You dance. I said, it's so beautiful. She goes, gee, I should have written that down. I said, absolutely. You know, it just comes out of you. And so, you know, again, again, so what is your combination? You, I don't know, but there's millions. Now, this is a lifetime work. This is not like, I got it. I went to church on December 28th. I got it. Now, this unfolds. So, so let me give you some examples. Like, so who am I not? If I'm going to fill this out, you know, who am I not and who am I? And I, actually, I did this exercise with our staff team at New Life about a month ago. So I said, I'm not a social worker. I have a great heart for the poor and marginalized in our, our community development corporation, but I'm not a social worker. Uh, I, I'm not a crowd gatherer. I'm not an entertainer. I, I don't have any interest in gathering crowds and entertaining anybody. You know, I'm not a professor. You know, I'm not, that's not me, you know, being in a classroom. But I said, I am, who am I? I, I am a, a kind of an apostolic idea person. Like, I, 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 I see how things fit, but I'm not like, there are lots of apostolic people that like lead movements and denominations, and there are over hundreds of churches, and like, that's, that's like not me. It's a type of apostolic that's not who I am, you know? I, and so I do it differently. You know, I said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a creative leader. So I'm, I'm a crea- I see things outside the box. I, 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 I'm creative. But I'm not really a strong executive leader. I can do basically some of it. But, I, but there are much, like Rich is a stronger executive leader than I am. I, I hated it when he first started leading the church. And he ran, he ran a better meeting than I did. And I sat there and I said, my gosh, he's so organized. You know, I always, I'm always all over the place, you know. And people got to pull me back in the room. And I'm also, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher, writer. I, I just love teaching. I, it can be three people. I'm happy. I'm just, I'm fine. I, I don't need a crowd. I just, I enjoy it. Okay. So Rich, you know, Rich said, I'm not a leader. Rich, Rich, I'm not. Rich is not, I'm not a church planter. Rich said, I'm not a leader of a megachurch. That kind of, again, back to kind of a role. And, and, and he goes, but I'm a builder who brings order out of chaos. He's a builder. He builds. Uh, because I'm a preacher. I'm a storyteller. I'm passionate about making complex things, simple. And he goes, I'm, a, I'm an equipper, releasing people into their gifts. I said, that's beautiful. I said, that's who I am. And, and I'm sure it's going to unfold even more as he goes on. You know, Red, I said, Red, what'd you write down? Red said, I am not Pete. <laughs> I am not rich. And I would add, you know, Red's not a social worker either. either. Um, and he, wrote, he wrote this, I'm a dreamer. I'm a tactician. I am a cheerleader of people. And I'd write down, I'm a leader and I'm an executive administrator. You know, I thought of Peter Roden. You know, Peter Roden. 
You know, who am I not? Peter Roden, uh, he's on vacation right now, so we can talk about him. Uh, I am not a preacher, I think he would write. I, I am not a church planter. I, I am not an administrator. But if you, any of you know Peter Roden, he's an amazing person. You know, I am a, he's a, he would say, I'm a servant. I mean, he is such a servant. I mean, I mean he's amazing. Uh, he's a releaser of people. I mean, the guy just raises up people, takes a back seat, and they get the glory. He's incredible. And he's a pastor. The guy just, you know, he just, he's not a pastor, like an upfront kind of pastor. He's just like, he's amazing. He just, he just calls people up. He's just, he's there. He's just, he moves to people in pain. And, and he's a pastor. I mean, he's a musician. He's many other things, you know. I thought, well, Onaje, you know, Onaje wrote down, you know, uh, he wrote down, you know, I am not a pastor. Now, it's funny because he took Peter Roden's role, you know. We're used to Peter Roden, Mr. Peter, I'm not a pastor. He goes, I'm not a pastor. And he, he said, I'm not an entertainer. It's interesting. But he's a song, I'm, I'm a, Onaje could say I'm a songwriter. You know, I'm a worship leader. Uh, I'm a groundbreaker in types of music. He didn't write that. I'm putting this in his mouth, but I, I, think, I think it works, you know. If some of you know, uh, you know, Victoria, I don't know if Victoria is here this service. Victoria is our treasure at our church. You know, she bears witness to Christ. You know, I think she would say, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a pastor, you know. She would not say, I'm not a leader. Uh, but, you know, Victoria is Victoria. Uh, I am an administrator. I am, I am excellent with numbers. I am able to manage uh, uh, finances and books. And she bears testimony to Jesus by doing that on behalf of all of us in this room. If you know Shelly, Shelly sings. He's on vacation, too. Let's talk about Shelly. Don't go on vacation. I'll use you in the pulpit. That's, that's the lesson of this. Shelly sings in the choir. Big guy stands at the top. Jewish believer. And I knew Shelly. I met him like 35 years ago. And he hasn't changed. Shelly. I don't know what he's not, but I can tell you who, I, who he is. Shelly, I am an evangelist. This guy cannot shut up, all right? I mean, he is just, he is just, I mean, like, I don't know. He just bears witness. He just wants to talk to people about Jesus. I mean, he just, everywhere he goes, he's in your face, but it doesn't feel like he's in your face, you know? And, uh, but what an encourager. He's just always up. He's encouragement, exhorting. It's just, it's, just, it's just who he is. What a contribution. Now, listen, you have to understand that you too were made to make a contribution to the world through bearing witness to Jesus. But there's a million different ways that happens. So many different ways that happens. And yours is unique. There's no one like you in the past or, or the future. And the way you're going to figure this out, it's going to, it's going to be a discerning, slow process. So I, I, I have some tips. This is just, I just wrote down a couple of tips because I know you're going to wrestle with this. So one is it will unfold and change over time. So for example, in my early days as a Christian, I would never have written down who I am, who, who am I? My early years, I was basically a, a person who shared the gospel with other people. That's what I did. That's all I did. Like, I would never have said I'm a pastor. I would never have said I'm a leader. I, I wouldn't have said I'm a teacher. I just, it just kind of unfolded over, over the years. Okay? And yours will unfold. You need to experiment. Now, we put this card in your, in your bulletin. We made this up. It says Servant New Life as well. Because you got to get in there and try different things. Try leading a small group, you know. Try pastoring some people. Try serving at the Community Development Corporation. Try ushering and greeting. Try something. You got to step out. And as you step out and do different things, we may not have you lead worship and try that to start, but try some things. You need to experiment. And as you do, you'll say, "Wow, this really fits me." At least right now in my life, um, it requires trial and error. It involves community and mentors. I, I told Rich, I said, I wish we could line all of you up and we could have prophetic prayer right now. 
And just because we need mentors, we need wise people, we need community to help us discern who we are and who we're not. Someone will come on and say, you know what, William, you are just a, you are a gift. When you stand up and say something in a group, it's just the whole room stops. It's such an encouragement. Really? Yes. And we do need those healthy people to reflect back on us. And then lastly, you know, it may or may not correspond to your, like, your profession or your talents. And I say that because, like, for example, David Jennings, he started our health center downstairs. You know, Dave Jennings quit college his sophomore year. But the funny thing about it, he's the vice president of Nyack College. And he oversees, like, I don't know, $50 million operation. He, saw, he, he built our health clinic downstairs all through volunteers. He's an incredible leader without any formal training. He teaches and steps in to teach classes in an MBA program. That's, that's how good he is. I think of Reggie Carpenter, who used to go to our church. He's since passed on to be with the Lord. Reggie, because he was dyslexic, they, they made him special ed, and, uh, which was really a wrong diagnosis. It was really a tragedy. So he grew up his whole life thinking he was stupid. Becomes a Christian uh, and finds out he's smart. And it turns out God has given him a gift to teach. So he would teach classes and teach small groups. And the amazing thing about it, here's Reggie, special ed high school. He was teaching small groups at New Life Fellowship for years that had graduates from Yale and Harvard and some of the best schools in our country, but it didn't matter. Do you understand? Because God had given him a gift. So, so you would say it didn't correspond with his background. It didn't matter. You may be from Bhutan, you know? The country or Sri Lanka, but you're just saying you find yourself, oh my God, I'm teaching all these Americans. Like, this is like, I never dreamed I would be in absolutely. So you got to always be open. So the question you got to ask yourself is how did God build me? How did He shape me? What, what desires and passions has he, has he put in my heart? And because your life, do you understand? Jesus died for you. And he sent the Holy Spirit to you that, to give you the power and the courage to actually rise up and do this thing. And so, again, here's that quote by Beekner. How do I know? Well, one of the ways you discern it is the place that God calls you is where your gladness, your deep gladness, and the world's deep hunger meet. It's a great need out there. And yet, you know, you have this great passion. That's a good indication God's coming to you in one of the ways about who you are. So here's what I want us to do. Now, now you need some silence for this. I, 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 I mean, I had my... A number of people say to me, this needs to be a workshop, not a sermon. Because it's so big, what we're talking about here. So I'm going to give us a little silence. Now, this is a quote I gave you last week, and I want to give it again because it's such an important one, which is, silence and scripture in the presence of God is the core of Christian spirituality. Deepening our awareness of him and ourselves. That we need to create space. So I'm going to give you a minute of silence now. And I don't want you to write anything yet, okay? You have a pencil. And, and so we're going to have a minute of silence, and then I'm going to give you two minutes to see what you can write. Some of you will find it very easy to write who I am not. Okay, you know, like maybe people have said you're going to be a this, and you're realizing I don't want to be this, and you know you're not that. And uh, just do the best you can. You may, not, you may not know very much, but just be open before God in those two minutes. And then I'll give you instructions from there. So let's begin with a, here's our little candle. So we're going to be silent and still before God. And um, get comfortable and just close your eyes. Now listen, you may be here today, so you're, not even a, you're not even a Christian yet. I'm asking you to be still before the Lord. 
That's fine. But I want to just, just be quiet, quiet your heart, and, and you want to just kind of be open uh, to, to the question about who are you and who are you not. Okay, so let's begin. Let's take a minute, and don't write anything yet, and let's be still before the Lord. Okay, now I'm going to give you two minutes. And just in this quietness, I'm, going to, I'm creating space for you now that you may never do at home, which I wish you'd do it, but try to fill out that sheet. Who am I and who am I not? And write as much as comes forth. A number of people told me after first service, they were surprised what came out of them when they had a little bit of space. I want you to do one last thing. I want you to turn to, I'm going to give you one minute. Now, if you're an introvert, uh, you know, if you're with someone you know, I want you to turn to one person and say, you know, what's your aha moment? What, what did you learn? And maybe I don't know anything. Just share for, I'm going to give you one minute to share with one person next to you what you wrote. The one biggest thing that stood out to you from what you wrote. And uh, introduce yourself to someone if you don't know them, all right? Just take one minute. You know, John the Baptist says a little bit later after this passage, he says, I, he, goes, I'm a bro, he goes, I'm a best man. He writes in John 3, and I listen to the voice of the bridegroom, Jesus. And he goes, and I'm full of joy when I hear his voice. And then he writes down, he goes, his joy floods me. Listen, friends, do you understand that if you will be patient and listen for his voice, about who you are and who you're not, your life will be overflowing with joy. Just like John's was. It wasn't dependent on external circumstances for him. It was way deeper than that. And God loves you and he loves me. Do you realize, look at everyone in this room here, do you realize the callings and the anointings of the Holy Spirit and what God has for all of us in this room? If I have the courage to say, wow, let me ask God that question, who am I and who I'm not? With that, let's sing this great song together about his love. I just love this song. It's so appropriate for the message. Let's sing it together. God has a future for you. He's got a present for you. And he came to take away the sins of the world. And it says in John 1, to baptize us with the Holy Spirit, to give us power from heaven above, to live out our lives in a unique fashion. And so I don't know if you're feeling crippled, ashamed, so many people afraid. Last couple of sermons, oh my gosh. Friends, I want you to hear this. He, he died and rose again because he came to free you. And he's got something for you. And I want to invite you to surrender your hearts to what that might be, who you really are. And have the courage to step out in faith and actually like, oh, you can, I can experiment with this. I can try this. Absolutely. He's put some gems inside of you some thoughts and hints of what that might be. And I want to plead with you in the name of Christ to say, okay, Lord, I'm open. And maybe you didn't write much right now, but you had maybe a little bit of an aha, maybe, you know? And let yourself step outside that box because 2015 is coming and God's got something for you. Just like he's got something for me out of who we really are. So I invite you to open your hands up towards heaven like this and receive a blessing as we close. 
So may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord's face shine upon you. And may the Lord give you the grace to open up the door of your life fully right now and to let, let his love and let the Holy Spirit's power invade you. That those treasures and those seeds that are deep inside of you might, might come forth, might be touched by the Spirit of God, and you might come alive. And you might actually trust those longings in your heart to be a gift to the world. So I pray you might be filled to overflowing with the love of God and the grace of God and the power of God. And you might leave here with a sense of hope, a sense of, of excitement about what God has for you in 2015. So be blessed, I pray, as you leave here. And may God illumine to you who you are and who you're not. And may you live a content, joyful life in Christ that he has destined for you since the day Eternal, you know, the world was made. Be blessed, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you, everybody. Please come, the altar is open. Thank you.